Wow, what a great morning of worship already. If you've not been to Melly Park or been to a Christian church before, and you're wondering, well, I wonder what that's all about, what you just experienced is what that's all about. <laughs> I'm just kind of an add-on, all right? Everything else we've done is what God has called us to, to rejoice in what He has accomplished for us, and singing about that and worshiping together is at the heart of the Christian church, so what a blessing. Uh, just a quick little family note, uh, for those of you who might have known Martha McGrath, she was a part of Melanie Park many years ago, she passed away this last week, and the family has invited you to the memorial service if you would like to attend. It'll be tomorrow at 11 a.m. at Lake Ridge Memorial on 82nd Street, so if that's of interest to you, I know they would be encouraged by your attendance, and you are, you're welcome to come. So as we continue in our study of Ecclesiastes this morning, I just I had some thoughts as I was preparing for our passage, and one of the things that I thought of was just thinking about how uh, we exist in our world today, and in particular uh, here in America, and one of the things that came to my mind was the fact that there, there is a danger that really is inherent in our democracy. Now, this is not a political speech, so please hear me out on this one. In his famous Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln said that we have a government that is of the people, that is by the people, and that is for the people. In other words, by design, the power of the American government is in the hands of the people. And that's a tremendous blessing, but it is not without danger. Because with that power, I have the privilege to influence what I believe is right. In fact, every single individual American citizen is motivated to shape a society that best fits their own beliefs. And this can become a pitfall in the life of a Christian when we lose sight of the fact that this world is not our home. We can become too enamored with improving our society that we forget that we belong to a heavenly kingdom and that this world is not our home. I was struck by that this week at our small group when we looked at a passage that just kind of captured my attention. And it was a familiar passage when Jesus is being confronted by Pilate in his trial before his crucifixion. And in that conversation, Pilate asked a very pointed question. He turns to Jesus and he says, are you the king of the Jews? And I thought the response of Jesus was fascinating. If you want to look at that with me, you can. It's in John chapter 18. It's the gospel of John chapter 18, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 36. But Pilate has asked him this very specific question, and listen to how Jesus responds. It says in John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. 
It just struck me that, that Jesus would have been fighting for his rights if this were his home. After all, he was being wrongly accused of a crime that he did not commit. But Jesus is clear. He did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus is correct. He said, he affirmed, I am a king. But he did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. In our discussion, we kind of talked through this and thought about it a little bit. And we said, okay, since we believe that's true, then what would we say as heavenly citizens that might align with what Jesus proclaimed? How, how would our words somehow be a mirror to his? This is what I came up with. I said, what if we said this, the kingdom to which we belong is not of this world. If it were, then our king would be fighting to deliver us from all the injustice and oppression as it is, Jesus is our king, and I am in this world, we are in this world, to bear witness to his truth. And part of that truth is the promise of a kingdom that is to come, an eternal kingdom that exists even now in the heavenly realms, and we only get a glimpse of it, but we see a picture of it through the person and work of Christ. And I know it is hard to live in this world with our eyes on heaven. And it's, it was just as hard for Solomon during his time. So my, my prayer is that our time in this passage will kind of help shed some light on this topic, right? How do we live in this broken world with a view of things yet to come? How do we trust in a perfect God when we live in a world that is ruled by imperfect people? So before we look at that, Together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, we, we kind of need our hearts stirred. We need to be awakened to some truths that I think that we uh, fall asleep on. We can get so enamored with life in this world, we forget that this world is not our home. That there is something greater, something better, something that we were ultimately created for. And so, Father, help us to get a glimpse of that this morning, to see some truths that extend beyond the limits of life in this world, which is the whole point of Ecclesiastes. Would you help us catch a glimpse of that this morning as we look at your word, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So if you would, go to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8, and we'll pick up where we left off last as we continue through... Uh, Solomon's thoughts. He says, beginning in chapter 8, verse 1, Who is like the wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illuminates him and causes his stern face to be. I'm going to pause there because I really like this first verse because I really think it sets the tone of the entire passage. Solomon is pointing to the value of wisdom in a world of confusion. He says that wisdom brings understanding, that it brightens your face, and, and it, it takes away that harsh look. And if you've lived in this world very long, you know that sometimes that happens. You see what's going on around us and all the injustice and all the impression, all the things that have gone wrong, and, it, and if you're not careful, it can cause you to be bitter and callous and angry. 
It affects even the way you look on your face. It says wisdom brightens your face. It softens your heart. It's easy to become bitter in a world that is filled with dead ends. If you try to find your hope in this world, you will most certainly be disappointed. But wisdom brightens your face. It helps you see beyond all the confusion. It brings understanding to what is so wrong in this world. It teaches us how to navigate situations of which we have no power whatsoever to change, causing us to look beyond ourselves as Solomon has encouraged us to see the work of God, to see his hand. So let's see how he leads us through that. Look at verse 2. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? Now, Solomon is talking about a king here, but I want us to understand that every earthly authority has been established by God. Whether you're talking about a king, a president, or a dictator. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, there is no authority except from God. And it goes on to explain that all authorities that exist in this world have been established by God. And they can be taken away just as quickly as they came. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 23 says, he, God, is the one who reduces rulers to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely do their stock take root in the earth, and he immediately blows on them, and they wither, and the storm carries them away like stubble. God ordains all authority. He determines their tenure. He directs their path. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God is the ultimate authority, and he uses any ruler to accomplish his divine purposes. So as a citizen of heaven, if you are a believer in Christ, then this should bring great hope and encouragement to you. It allows you to live in an imperfect world because you trust in a perfect God, knowing that God rules all of life with ultimate authority. And he uses that authority to accomplish eternal promises and plans for redemption. So if you're wondering, for example, if our current president was ordained by God, the answer is yes. And so was the one before him. And the one before him. And so on and so on. Now, sometimes they can be good at what God's placed them in the place to do, and they bring blessing to a country, to to anyone. Sometimes they don't do what's right in the eyes of God, and God will use that, many cases, to bring judgment against our sin. Either way, we are commanded by God's word to be subject to our rulers, whether they're good or not. Solomon says, wisdom causes you to keep the command of the king. 
He says, don't be too quick to condemn their authority or too eager to deny their rule. We are called to be subject to their authority because that authority was given to them by God. In Romans chapter 13, he goes on and and says, in verse 1, let me just read that because I uh, quoted it earlier, but let me say it again. Every person is to be in subjection to the government authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, I realize we hear that and we say, okay, so does that mean we just accept evil and tyranny when it exists in the world? No, that's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is that we must not rebel against ungodly authority in an unrighteous way. Romans chapter 12, verse 21 says, Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. We are called to be a witness for what is right in a world gone wrong. That's our purpose, regardless of what country we might live in. You see, a sovereign God, does not need our help to make things right in the world. Do you get that? A sovereign God who's in ultimate control does not need our help to make things right in the world. In fact, I would go so far as to say it's not even his goal. His goal is to work in the world in view of eternity, using what is temporary to awaken us to what is eternal. You see, what is wrong in the world is a result of what is wrong in our hearts. And until we are willing to submit to the power of God, we will be ruled by the power of sin, no matter what country we might live in. Listen, I know it's easy to be discouraged by all the the evil, all the corruption, all the deception. But the scripture promises that God is present in the midst of our mess. And he's inviting us to something better. Because until we trust in him to change our heart, sin will reign. And only God can make it right. Look at how he continues in verse 5. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. For a wise man knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. There is no discharge in a time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. First, Solomon begins by saying, wisdom leads you to be a law-abiding citizen. And when you obey the laws, generally speaking, you stay out of trouble. But there are times when there are laws that need to be questioned. We have plenty of that in our own country. Plenty of that history. For example, the Jim Crow laws that legislated racial segregation. That was wrong. They needed to be questioned. 
But Martin Luther King was a man of great wisdom. Solomon's wisdom says you got to know the right way to do the right thing. And I believe Martin Luther King was one of the examples of what that looks like. Now, he wasn't perfect by any stretch, as are none of us. But what he did believe is that there needed to be a nonviolent resistance to evil. He saw it as a way to build friendship and understanding. In his own words, he says that he wanted to defeat injustice, not destroy people. One of my favorite quotes of his says that darkness will not, not, will not drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate will not drive out hate. Only love can do that. That is an absolute truth and one we see very rarely in our world today. Martin Luther King lived by Solomon's wisdom. He knew the proper time to do the right thing at the right time. But that kind of wisdom comes from the conviction of God's ultimate control. It sees the limitations of man in his sinful heart and trust in the unlimited power of a sinless, holy God. Solomon asked, after all, what man, name him, what man do you know can control the wind with the wind? What man, name him, can determine the day of one's death. See, the only man I know that can control the wind is the one who stood on the Sea of Galilee and said to the wind, hush, be still. And they obeyed Jesus when he spoke those words. Jesus even said, I have authority to lay down my life But he goes on and says, and I have the authority to raise it up again, which is exactly what he did. He gave his life on the cross, and then he rose again on the third day. And before it ever happened, he says, I have the authority to make it happen. And that's precisely what he did. Those are divine rights that no man, no woman, no human being can possess. The only way that we can live peacefully in an imperfect world ruled by imperfect people is if we trust in a perfect God. With such power, with such power that he can take what is meant for evil and actually use it for good. We see that in the life of Joseph, right? His his brothers intended evil. They sold him into slavery. They wanted to see him dead. They wanted him God and then gone and then, then, then God put him in a position where he would one day save their lives. And he told his brothers, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. That's the power of our sovereign God. Not only does he use what is intended for evil and turn it into good, but he also takes what is intended for harm and turn it into healing. Look no further than the cross. They intended to harm by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but he rose from the dead so that he might bring healing and redemption to all mankind, including the ones who crucified him. As he stood, as they stood beneath the cross, some of his words as he sat there seeing what was happening, is forgive them, Father, 
for they know not what they are doing. They are captured by the deception of this world. May they see the truth of who I am and be set free. The only way that we can live peacefully in an imperfect world, ruled by imperfect people, is if we trust in a perfect God. In the end, God will have the final word, and he will bring about our highest good as he's promised. We can live peacefully in this imperfect world because we believe in those perfect promises. Look at how Solomon continues in verse 10. So then, I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out of the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did this. This too is futility. First, Solomon kind of points to the, uh, the foolishness of open rebellion against godly ordained authority, and now he's pointing to the inward rebellion that exists in our hearts, and he points first to a man, calls him a wicked man, who's going in and out of a holy place. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm reading this going, what is a wicked man doing in a holy place, right? And as I thought about that, I thought, well, there's two possible reasons that I can consider. One is either he is a wicked man pretending to be righteous, right? That's a possibility. Or he's a wicked man who is accepted by the righteous. Either way, Solomon says it's not right. It's not right for someone who is wicked to pretend to be good. It's not right for those who are righteous to ignore obvious sin. But as we all know, we see it all around us. It happens all the time. That's what life in this world includes. But Solomon says, look, that compromise will not last forever. Because even those who live in deception will eventually die. And he says, when they do, they'll be quickly forgotten. And I believe the reason they're quickly forgotten is because somebody's going to step in to do the exact same thing and repeat their example. The world will never have a shortage of hypocrites. People pretending to be good when they're wicked inside. And when they're wicked, being accepted by the religious because somehow it plays in their favor. It's the world we live in. And it always has been. Look at how he continues in verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. Solomon is explaining to us the reason people live lives of deception is because they can. It's because they can. In fact, I believe that deception is probably more common in our world today than is integrity. It's really hard to do the right thing when the wrong thing is what everyone else is doing. Just ask Lance Armstrong, right? He was a hero in professional cycling because of his continual success. And he repeatedly denied ever having been involved in performance-enhancing drugs. And the reason he could do so is because no one else wanted to say he was wrong for fear of their own incrimination. In other words, no one wants to confess to a crime everyone is committing. So when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, no one wants to submit to the authority of God. 
When God does no longer have authority, then people will do whatever they want. And as a result, the Scripture tells us that men's hearts are inclined towards evil all the time, even when we want to go our own way. You see, unless we submit to the authority of God, we will be ruled by the power of sin. That's a biblical truth that continues throughout all of human history. Unless we submit to the authority of God, we will be ruled by the power of sin. That's what's wrong in our world. That's why things are so messed up. And Solomon warns us that kind of injustice, that sinful lifestyle will not last forever. And he's honest. He says, look, it it might appear that those who carry on in evil in in a sinful lifestyle, it just kind of goes unchecked, that they just kind of live forever. They can prosper in their wickedness. But Solomon is very clear. God is not slow about his promise to bring justice. In fact, he's patient not wanting anyone to perish. That is not his desire. He wants none to perish, but all to come to a place of repentance. For Solomon knows in the day of judgment, as he says, it will not go well for those who are unrepentant. Only those who fear the Lord will stand forgiven before a holy God. Only those who would submit to his authority will be covered by his grace. Hebrews 9:27 says clearly, it is appointed once for men to die and then comes judgment. And we all stand before God in his holy righteousness. Justice is coming. The only question is, are you ready? Look at how he continues in verse 14. There is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. So I commend pleasure, for there is nothing good for man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. As we've talked about before, life within the limits of this world is inherently unfair. The righteous are often punished for trying to do good. The wicked often prosper for doing evil. We live in an imperfect world ruled by imperfect people. And so you're destined to be disappointed if you put your hope in this world. Your life will be filled with frustration if your goal, as a believer or not, is to take away all the injustice. Wisdom understands what is wrong in this world. It sees the heart of the issue as an issue of the heart. So as long as man is in control, it would be foolish to expect any meaningful worldwide change. We must turn to a higher authority than man who alone has the power to bring about our highest and greatest good. God is our ultimate authority, and each day we live is ultimately a gift from Him. We just sang about it this morning, right? The breath we breathe is given by Him. 
So Solomon says, eat, drink, and be merry. But he explains it by saying, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun but to eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, this world is not where you will find your ultimate joy. Yes, experience moments of joy, experience moments of delight. But understand, we live in an imperfect world, and our ultimate joy will only be fulfilled in the perfection of God's eternal kingdom. That's the testimony of Scripture. Our joy is only complete when we live in confidence of God's ultimate control. Okay? We see that all throughout Scripture. Let me give you one of those places. Turn to John chapter 15. Back to the Gospel of John chapter 15. I just want us to Listen to the words of Jesus, beginning in verse 9. So John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus speaking says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was clear. He did nothing on his own authority. He gave that right away when he took on human flesh. The writer of Philippians says that he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, his life was in complete submission to God's will. God the Son lived in loving fellowship with God the Father through faithful obedience. And Jesus tells us, as his followers, we should go and do the same. Instead of following our own desires, we should follow his commands, submitting to his authority instead of going our own way. That's how we live in his love, trusting in him more than we trust ourselves. Living in his love. Now, look at how he continues in verse 11. It says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Some translations say complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. See, our joy is complete only when the joy of Christ lives in us. Now, part of that joy, Jesus already described. It was the joy of being faithful to what God had called him to do, living in accordance with God's will. But even that obedience came with great cost, right? He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But not even the cross could rob him of his joy. And that's because his joy looked beyond the cross. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who, get this, for the joy set before him, despising the shame, he endured the cross and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The joy of Jesus was set firmly on the justice of God, so much so that he endured the cross knowing that it would be a payment for sin, so much so that he endured the shame, knowing that it would bring about our redemption. Jesus found his ultimate joy in the perfection of God's eternal purposes. 
This is the joy that Jesus wants you and I to cling to as well. Enjoying the momentary delights in this world, but living for the ultimate joy of God's eternal kingdom. That's our home. That's where we belong. Not here. Kimberly Kennedy has a hashtag on all her social media in light of all that they've faced in their own family, and it says, pursuing joy in the in-between. It's just this sense that this is just the in-between, and there are moments of joy, but our ultimate joy is somewhere else. And I think real practically, just for you and I on a day-to-day basis, this is what helps us live free from the expectation that life should work out perfectly. Because it won't. Because this is not our home. It helps us handle life's disappointments when we understand that we live in a broken world. But it gives us hope because it reminds us this world is, is ultimately not our home. Even our hardships are fulfilling eternal purposes. The Bible tells us that, that our sufferings will be exchanged for a weight of glory and eternal goodness. We were created for eternity. Solomon says that. He says, God put eternity in your heart. And that eternity is filled with the, protect, the protection and perfection of God's infinite goodness. We are in this world to bear witness to his truth. That's why we are here. Not to shape the world to be a perfect place. It will not happen. We are in the world to bear witness to his truth. And that is the truth of faithful love, the truth of eternal promises, the truth of complete forgiveness through faith in Christ alone. That's why we are here. So live those moments of joy. But long for a greater joy that is ultimately fulfilled in the perfection of God's eternal kingdom. Do you see how that gives us the the peace and the ability to to live when we're surrounded by broken situations and hurt by broken people and ruled by imperfect rulers? Because we trust in a perfect God who has perfect promises and will make all things right in the end. And so we live each day trusting in that. So I want us to sing this last song with that heart in mind. And when we sing songs around here, just like we did at the beginning of the service, those songs are prayers. They are prayers of truth, truth that is grounded in God's Word. So these are not just words on a screen. These are God-breathed words of truth that we are proclaiming a sincere belief in. So as we stand together, let's do that as we close in this song. Please stand. That's good, good news. And you need to sing that song with great joy. I just want you to be encouraged in knowing that we serve a sovereign God who is in ultimate control and will bring about our highest good. And he has made that clear through what he accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Entering into this broken world filled with sinful humanity with a way to eternal life. And a promise that he will make all things right. And so let me just encourage you day to day to trust in the goodness of our God and his ultimate control and rest in the promise of our ultimate joy, 
that is yet to come. Amen? Praise the Lord. Y'all have a great day.